This is a hand-painted flying fish, hand-painted by me, Ann Calber. It's seven feet, 10 inches long, and it is available for sale. You can find it at onhawaiantimepodcast.com or fast and easy, oht.rocks. And it's available for sale in our merch department. Sing music, please. Aloha, everybody. Welcome to On Hawaiian Time. I'm Mick Calber. I'm Bruce Omori. And you are... On Hawaiian Time. Welcome to another episode of On Hawaiian Time. We're at the Extreme Exposure Fine Art Gallery in downtown Hilo. Tim, so... What's up with them? What's up, what's up with, with these guys? What's up with what? What? Oh. You... I thought they said... We needed to wear masks. Exactly. Not those kinds of masks, actually. It's Halloween. It was just Halloween. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Never mind. (laughs) We thought we were appropriate for the season. (laughs) Really? Oh, well. Cool. So, um, who's our guest today, Bruce? Oh, it's my guest. Our guest today is the famous Keone Kealoha Alvarez. Welcome, Keone. Welcome. Mahalo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Keone is a a very up-and-coming filmmaker on the Big Island of Hawaii, or in Hawaii in general, I should say. And um, I met Keone a while back, and he did some work for me, and he was really, really good. And he's been working on a project, believe it or not, for more than a decade. Can you tell us a little bit about Hawaiian Burial? Yeah. um, So uh, right now I'm working on a film documentary and um, it's a passion of mine of of learning about such a, you know, important part of our culture, which is Hawaiian burials. And um, it's kind of I had the responsibility of knowing about what I was filming about since early childhood. So that's kind of what my documentary is about. It's kind of my journey about learning about a burial site that we discovered, you know, and it took over 10 years because, you know, it was a part of my life of a journey of following me and learning about my Hawaiian culture and learning about a burial site that we discovered and the importance about protecting it. So um, in learning about that, um, I met a lot of different kupuna, different elders, different teachers to guide me of the things that I needed to know and whether burial sites were important in Hawaii. Fascinating stuff, Kelly. Really, really good stuff. We're going to get back to that in a minute. But before we do that, we got to go around the zoo. Jimmy? Yesterday, I went to the Austin Film Festival. Really? Yes, wow. and I saw the premiere of a film by you, a friend of mine. You went all the oh. way to we Austin? We thought you were in Papa, Papa Loa. Well, it was the virtual Austin Film Festival. Oh. <laughs> oh. My friend Evo Raza, based in Miami, um, directed a film with uh, David Lipper as the lead actor called Reboot Camp. And uh, you can find that if you go to rebootcampfilm.com. Very funny spoof on yoga and sort of um, cults and how people get all swept up in that. And oh, already sort I want to Sort of conspiracy theory stuff. So uh, kind of relevant to what's Perfect going on. on the list. Perfect for the election. <laughs> Speaking of the election. Tomorrow, right? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you got for us? Uh, what's your name again? Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. Oh, I, I've been streaming. Oh, just, just going to keep it to one. Yeah, there's just one yeah. this week, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, watching these. I've been watching this uh, a series called, um, what is it called? Uh, the Unicorn. My have granddaughter guys- loves unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Bruce. You have unicorns in your jammies? <laughs> With rainbows? So th- this, this is a story. It's, it's a sitcom about um, a widower. And, uh, you know, he's kind of getting back into the, I guess, the dating scene. He's got two daughters, teenage daughters. And um, because he's normal and um, he's available. Um, <laughs> the, normal as the, opposed to what? You know, like we don't want to know. Guys, guys going on dating sites and whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Um this guy is referred to as uh, being a unicorn. So, you know, that's it's normal. It. Yeah. And so it's good. You've okay. enjoyed it. Yeah. It, it's fun. It's, uh, yeah, hilarious, actually. Gonna have to dig deeper <laughs> into that one. I think I'm, I'm missing scared. something with the unicorn. Is that something <laughs> no. that I, I'm not, oh, term, no, I'm not the, aware of? The, the women, the available women are, look at a guy like him oh, as being a unicorn. I get it now. Because guys like him are really hard to oh, come Oh, rare. By. He's rare. Oh, yeah. I see. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. There you go. I thought he was just weird and he had a horn in his head. <laughs> really, I didn't want to know. But that sounds great. That sounds great. So um, we've been on Amazon and we started watching, um, a, what was it, a three-part story. And it's actually a true story. And it's called uh, Ruth Wilson. And uh, I, Mrs. I, Wilson, yeah, I Ms., or Mrs. Wilson, um, and it was really good, and it's a true story. Um, it's in English based, but I definitely check that out. An M16 officer who uh, is away from his family and goes on special assignments a lot, and Mrs. Wilson finds out she's not the only Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> oh, yes, and I won't say any more. But fascinating story. Cool. Um, what have I got? I have, oh, Annie and I like murder mysteries. That's one of our mm-hmm. favorite things. And so we've, um, we've discovered Agatha Christie movie, movie mysteries, which have been around for a while. But we, we found one called the ABC Murders. On, that was on Netflix or was it Amazon? Amazon. That was Amazon too. So, uh, yeah, it's really good. We like Agatha Christie. You know, Agatha Christie's a great writer. And, and the movies they've made of hers, Murder on the Orient Express, et cetera, et cetera. ABC Murders, very good, very good. Oh, and it was uh, John Malkovich was yes, started in it. one of my ah, favorites. Yeah, loved it. We've got an awesome guest here. Shall we put him in the hot seat? Hot seat there for you go. <laughs> We want to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. So tell me, you know, where you were born, where you were raised, where you went to school. Yeah, uh, I was born on the island of Oahu. Um, I uh, was raised there for a little while, but... Um, and then when I was really young, like third grade, I moved to, um, Hawaii Island here and, um, I grew up at Poa school and, um, in Poa school, I just, you know, I've always been creative, you know, in, in doing kind of any kind of art, anything like that. But once I got into my senior year, that's when I got into production work 
and learning about filmmaking and putting projects together. As soon as I got out of that, what then, got you interested in it in the first place? Uh, art. Yeah, I think it was like a me- a different medium of putting something together, getting people together. For me, I did like a you know play production and stuff like that, and organized the whole thing and fundraised it and all kind of stuff. It was a pretty big one, but um, so that's what got me going to saying, "Hey, you can actually create something." And this was like late nineties. Yeah, late nineties, ninety nine, aging. <laughs> uh, dating Wait, myself. I'm dating myself now, but it's okay. But yeah, so uh, I did that in high school, and that kind of took. And then within the high school, I, I seen a Naleo uh, commercial here, public access, and they offered a class for twenty five dollars to hey, if you really want to get into production, you know, join it. And it was just a screenshot on TV. So my mom was like, okay, we'll sign you up. And then, so I just went, I was Naleo's first class. It's a public access class. And from there it just took off. Yeah. And I, I, I did so many things and, um, so you ended up in Boston though, I heard. Yeah. So actually I met, um, from that public access station, I learned, I, I met, um, my boss, he, he was like a director for a KGMB in kind of the sports department. Yeah. in in sports programming. And uh, he trained me, you know, I worked for him for 10 years, editing all different type of projects, commercials, documentaries, all kind of stuff. And then after that, when he uh, later retired, then I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, I got all this, you know, what job am I going to take? So I did a YouTube video and put it up uh, to go on to Norwegian Cruise Line or the cruise line ships. And then in three days, they responded to me. Sorry. In three days. Well, you did it without even being asked. You just did it. Yeah, I just did it. And showed it to them. Yeah, I said I had to do something. So I said, you know, I'm going to film myself. (laughs) And it was in Kona and I still remember it. And I remember like that the ship behind me. And I was just like, hi, my name is Keone. And um, I always wanted to. I have no idea what the cruise line was going to (laughs) be. And then the the lady called me. She was like, you know, do you want to work here? Um, But, you know you know, to be a steward is really hard work. I mean, like I was willing to do anything like a waiter. I just wanted to get onto a, onto the ship. She said, you know, do you have an, another skill that you know how to do? And I said, yeah, I know how to do filmmaking. And she was like, yeah, you know, you know what? There's actually a broadcast team on the ships. And she said, you know, just send me your resume and stuff like that. And she knew I was so excited to, to get on. And then she just got me on. And then after that, I just traveled the world, traveled all different places. Um, I got to, um, and even even before that, um, you know, working for my boss, it was an awesome experience because he allowed me to go out and film other productions, other big films. And, you know, and then um, I did a lot of stuff and even going to um, Boston, Massachusetts and, you know, being in the Producers Academy was an awesome thing. Meeting other producers, filmmaking, um, filmmakers and other networks was awesome, too, to to see and see how they work and you know, you got, it, it was, you know, it was amazing. Keone, yeah. I've looked at your, your YouTube videos and there have to be 60, 70, 80 of them. Yeah. Them. It's like, they go on and on and yeah, on and yeah, on and on. Yeah. Is, um, tell people how they can see those. Uh, right now I have a YouTube um, channel. Um, it's called Hawaiian in the city. And there's going to be many more things that the reason why I'm calling it Hawaiian in the city is because, um, the goal of that program is, or the goal of that YouTube is for me to travel. So wherever I'm going to be in China or whatever, it's a Hawaiian in their city. 
So, and I get to show them, you know, or my experience of going there and learning about their culture, you know, and I think uh, that that's kind of what my thing is. Um, it's still it's creating itself like all other things, you know, and um, that sounds great. Yeah. So, um, and, but then with, with that project, I'm just putting different programming and doing a lot of experimentals just to, just to feel my audience of where my audience is at and, and who am I, um, who's watching and things. So it's a growing thing. So, and it takes a lot of work and like you guys know already with any kind of program. But then to, to really learn more about Keone Alvarez, you go to keonealvarez.com, right? Yes, you go to keonealvarez.com. You can go to Instagram. You can go to Facebook. Um, I'm starting at Twitter. So, and I got a whole team, like a t- team of people that's helping me out now. So I got a good, uh, good friends who's kind of, you know, uh, supporting me and filling in the parts that would make it difficult for me to actually run that whole that whole, you know, web, it's a lot of work. So you're going to need some people to help yeah, you people out. People have no idea what goes into me filmmaking, right? Yeah, filmmaking or even just your every every um, social media yeah. is all different. Everyone is different. So trying to make it easier, but it, it helps a lot to get people, different people's opinions, yeah. you know, and it's always good to listen. <laughs> well, your, your website is most impressive, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I've worked in the business now for what mm-hmm. 50 years or something mm-hmm. and um you have lots of stuff on here i never knew mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> filming tips um uh, meet before the shoot set up before they arrive make sure you have enough sd cards <laughs> what a concept <laughs> right um <laughs> and check your white balance you know rule of thirds all it's all these things and mm-hmm. you know they're things that i yeah. learned along the way but i wish i'd had somebody told me that in the first place you know, I didn't have that advantage. I came in through the news route, which was the back door <laughs> right. of the business. But um, don't do news. you have lots of stuff on this website that's really impressive. A lot of people that you that's work cool. with. And you wrote a book about caves too before. Yeah, yeah. I finished. It took me a year to to finish it. Um, so when I was on Oahu, living on Oahu, I had so much time. I took a I took like a third job. It was crazy. Um, but I worked at 24 hour fitness for a short time before the year because I just took it because I work late night. So I work from like 10 to six in the morning and they said I could do anything I wanted to do. So I was, I took that time to write that book and I, and <laughs> no, you know, it was the easiest job ever. I mean, and it gave me all that time and I just did whatever I wanted to, you know, just writing and people come in like, there's no job, you know? So I just worked on, so my whole, the whole desk was laid out with my computer, my books, everything like that. So, um, but I used that time very wisely of trying to, uh, or created that book. Uh, it's, um, Kapu Sacred Hawaiian Burials and it actually has illustrations. And because we shot a lot of reenactments in my film, I included those photos and, um, of how Hawaiians did things. So Hawaiians had different burial practices and, um, you know, some of the practices that they did was, you know, like a common burial, they'll just bury it into the ground. You have another way how, how Hawaiians did it was that they use uh, pa'akai or salt. Yeah. They would pack the, the body to preserve it. Um, they would actually, and then also they would, so they would bury below ground, they would bury above ground if the, and it depends on the land terrain. So if the land terrain had a lot of caves and a lot of lava tubes, they'd obviously use that. 
So like on Oahu, a lot of dirt, they would actually dig a hole, you know. And then one of the ways, another way was sand, you know. Sand was another way of how to break down and uh, the the body or the, the remains. And it's with the belief of it, you know, so that when it does break down, the ocean and the person become one. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was with kane, with the ocean. So it would actually go out and that was a whole belief. So you're going to find a lot of burials next to the ocean. And then you also had uh, different herbs and things that they would also use. So you had people who lived near the ocean, you know, pack them with, and not every, like, because every family is different, they're going to practice it a little bit different, but the culture is there. But there's like about, you know, four or five different methods of how Hawaiians did it and it brings it out in my film. So it's very unique that people are going to hear it for the first time. And even Hawaiians don't know about it too. You know, you know about burials, but you don't, you know, because a lot of the culture has been lost, you know. So I'm just trying to fill people in and um, it's very informative to remind people of how sacred our burials are. My name is Kioni Kealoha Alvarez. In my culture, I guard and protect something precious. It's the root of the Hawaiian existence. Today, I'm going to do some research about Hawaiian burials. Burials were sacred. Burials were important. The, the body was, was prepared. They knew every bone in your body and every muscle and how it linked. They didn't know that by just putting it on the side, they went through it. Not to expose anything. You know, I'm not exposing bur- you know, bones and all this stuff. I'm, you know, and there's a fine line that you got to kind of stay within. And through my experience uh, of protecting our burial cave, you know, like I mean, in protecting it, meaning I have to stand in front of a bulldozer, I have to stop that. So, and then also practice that and not even knowing what the culture is innately. You know, I did things that I just did it. With development booming on the Big Island, the Puna District is primed for progress. But some Native Hawaiians say it's running roughshod over ancestral remains. And everybody from all around the world are starting to buy properties and develop them. Federal prosecutors charged two Big Island merchants with stealing more than 150 repatriated Hawaiian artifacts. And then later it would come to me of like, why did it? and why I felt about it. And either the kupunas would explain it. So there's weird things that happen that uh, occurred even with, you know, um, the landowners dying and stuff like that. So it's a whole thing to, um, you know, whether people believe it or not, you know, things happen, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, what determines the type of burial that is done? Is it through the family traditions or the person's uh, own beliefs or... or- um, it's usually it's usually the family um, who decides. I mean, if the, the family, whatever they believed in, they would actually practice according to that. Um, so it's kind of I cannot like for for our family when you know when they put them into you know burial caves. I mean, it's it was to be buried into a, a burial cave yes it was a terrain thing but because in caves there's um uh, there's like it's a it the water that comes 
through the caves are something pure. It, it kind of pures it. So that's one of the reasons why they used to put them into um, caves too. So that's, it, it depends on the beliefs, yeah. Um, and that was just how they did things. Um, because a lot of times people think that, you know, when you're in a cave, it's something ali'i or it's a royal status. And that's, I was going to say, if there's a difference, whether your um, position in the, in the culture, no, in the community. No, no. Um, it's, it's not on status. It's, it's matter of, um, you might have more items within the cave, depending if the family, you know, just like today, you would give more things to your family. But as of that, we know that, there is a status, sorry about that. There is a status, meaning that a lot of our sacred burials are like on Mauna Kea, you know, the highest burials would be there, you know, or at the highest peaks. But if, if you're talking about more common kind of type of burials and they're going to put it into caves and, and things, mainly either they live nearby or they're just utilizing that according to their belief of meaning that if someone loved this waterfall or whatever a lot and they probably passed away they would actually bury them near maybe that area and then their spirit their amakua would within their family over many years that would kind of be their place or or there would be some sort of um story behind it and that's where that would come into the connection so, to the owner, to the yeah. land. Is or if they, yeah, or if they love right? a fish or something and they love that area, they love to hunt or fish in this area, they'll put them there and it, they become a part of that. Yeah, so it's kind of a unique thing. Keani, um, so I understand in some of the burial caves, mm -hmm. um, the person's possessions would be included, yeah, mm -hmm. like surfboards or canoe or... Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So is that is that a um, like a I don't know what you call that tradition, or is that kind of like a uh, like you know to help that person mm -hmm. do a transition to yeah you know yeah. yeah. It is. You you have so we have in our language it's it's make make is like your sudden death, mm -hmm. and then you have people who hala, and usually when they hala is that's when the the families kind of would park take in that and actually have them cross over, right? And a lot of times because there is a belief that they would cross over and they would meet their loved ones mm -hmm. of whoever they are, and they'll meet again. So a lot of times they would leave moipu. Moipu is um to lie with. So they would actually leave those objects with the person. So mm. even though if it was a war weapon or, or something that they utilize, a f you know, fishing or whatever, they would actually put them with the person so that later on that's part of them to wherever they're going to go in their afterlife. Yeah. So and they'll take that with them. And even they would bury dogs, you know, you know, they would bury animals, you know, if they, you know, because they love the dog and they want that to go on with their journey. You know, it's something like the Egyptians, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's really trip to see the, how much different uh, burial uh, styles that we had and uh, to see um, how we continue to respect it. The hard part about it is that I see what's going on in the world and I can see how Egypt and, and, and just trying to fathom that and the desecration that goes along with that, you know, with, the, with their own people. But sometimes we have to think, 
and I was getting a little bit of history about it, is that they were not the original Egyptians who's, who was there. The Egyptians now is actually desecrating those kings and queens because there's no connection for them, right? Mm-hmm. So the, it gave me a clearer understanding of that. But um, today, that's the, we don't want to go that far of putting our objects, which we, be, which we know should belong with anybody else's grave, um, should be in the ground. And right now with the museums and stuff, they're feeling that, oh, let's display these kind of stuff, you know, and put them, you know, so that mm-hmm. people can learn and educate people. But that's not what those items were meant for. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know the practices. We don't know the protocols that went along with those burials and those items and the chance and spiritualness to whatever that went into there, into the cave or into the ground. Um, and these archaeologists and is just going there and removing these things. And then they displace them and they don't know where they got to go. And then now you, you have it in the state um, department on their shelves. Mm-hmm. And some of them had bones that have been there for 20 years. And then when mm-hmm. they feel like they want to bury them, they want to put them all together and bury them all together. But that that is so heavy. That is so wrong in the Hawaiian culture because you would never mix the mana or the, 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 the people together. This mound is actually from all the burials that they found in Waikiki, from all the development, from all the hotels and all the shopping centers, they decided to grab all these bones and then put them in one area. This is a United States practice. This is not a Hawaiian practice. In Hawaiian culture, you never ever do such a thing. And just because they make it beautiful on the outside, that's a sick thing about it. That's what makes it worse, actually. Is they making it look like it's okay and it's not. That was like a wrong thing that you can do. You know, when you find bones in a cave and you have multiple bones, it's not, you know, I'm going to just put my bones in this cave. Those are probably families, you know, they're probably the warriors of the king. They all had some sort of relationship. Um, It's not just, you know, we're going to, they just put them in there. This is a family that you're touching, you know, and they're using that for their family. So it's a known cave that their family has been using, you know. And today it just kind of sickens me to see what's happening about, because I went into Bishop Museum and I, and I had the opportunity to either I'm going to film it or not. You know, am I going to film this key and go against of what I'm trying to t- tell people? Or, and I chose not to, you know, it's just, there's a line that you need to stop, but yet I can still show what we today still can create. We don't have the main object, but just give people an idea mm-hmm. of, we have a lot of talented carvers. We know what a ki'i is, you know, and or a uh, moipu. And moipu is only something that, you know, it's a carving that when you pass away, if you want to leave it, you can leave it. So there's still living moipu out there that it's just like a um, heirloom, you know, it's no different than an heirloom. You know, so I know that we can create, and that's what's in my film. It's it's not the real objects, you know, but it gives people an idea about um, what they did. Keone, as a filmmaker, I'm curious, and you kind of are hitting upon this, like the challenges you face. So every filmmaker doing documentaries faces certain challenges, but it sounds like some of your challenges are very unique. So like hmm. in terms of research and that kind of thing, how much of that was available to you versus how much you had to go out, speak to Kapuna, get first-hand stories because the Hawaiian history, is it is it more of an oral history or are there records that <clears throat> are available in the archives, so to speak? Yeah, so so in in the Hawaiian history, 
Hawaiian history, I mean, it is oral tradition. I mean, there was no written language, right? So as soon as the 1700s, about, you know, 1700s, you know, then we, we started to have written literature and all this stuff. So um, everything was all from memory. They did. So because we cannot fathom that because we have TV, we have internet, we have all these mm -hmm. distractions. But you think about, you know, you back in the day that you don't have TV. Chanting was your TV, you know, mm -hmm. and when they chanted and they did their entertainment, that's all they had. So of, of course, they're going to absorb you know, as much information that they can and they can recite these long chants. And that's what we had, you know, that we had um, from the people who knew the chants, they put it in written language after that, you know. So, um, so yeah, so they put them into written language. I went into the archives. I did my research about it. So, um, and, you know, I'm not saying that I know everything, but part of what I needed to know was just enough for me to just get this film is just to give people a glimpse into what our Hawaiian culture um, practice, you know, and then if you want to learn more about it, you can expand it, you know, go do your research, go to the museum and go figure it out. But right now I'm, my whole thing was to learn about our burial cave, the importance about preserving it and protecting it. And, and why is it important? You know, and these things are very important. And I, I, I realize that now, you know, you can read about things in books, right? But when you actually go there, it's totally different. You know, you can read about New York, but if you haven't, if you haven't been to New York and you really see it in life, you're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, it's a, so we want to keep these things because it's, it's an experience that we can give people and, um, it's an awesome experience. And especially when it's a, it's a spiritualness to it, you know, not everybody believes that, right. But we still got to give our kupunas, the people who was there before us, the respect, because they, at that time, they were allotted their rights to be buried where they're at. Right. So why are we making it any different to dig them up and move them and displace them? Especially when we know that they, the families took the time or somebody took the time to dig a hole, put their valuable possessions in it and covering it up. So there was all that aloha, all that love that went into something. It wasn't just something that they didn't care about the remains and just left them on the lava field and stuff like that. You know, they cared about these are families. And I think today when I see that and see what archaeologists are doing of grave, you know, I mean, if you dig, if you accidentally hit, you know, hit it, okay, put it back. But why are you taking the possessions from the grave and then putting them in a museum? You know, that wasn't left for them. Yeah. So I don't know how people cannot, you know, understand that. It's kind of like you're just taking off your gown off of the your grandmother and just leaving her naked and you're just letting everybody, see. you know, it's just, it's crazy. So do you think that the work that you're doing and other people um, are doing or have done, like what you're doing, you think that's having an effect on the Hawaiian culture? Like what I'm, what I'm doing? Is, it, is, it, is there enough um, influence from what you're doing and what other people are doing in the same area, d educating people mm -hmm. about burial caves and whatnot? Is that having an effect on the culture? Is, are things getting better or not? So 
So the things that I, the, the things that I've done is, um, right now we're, we're in a situation that, you know, Hawaiians are continuing to try and protect something, but it's kind of hard when you have, um, another country dictating to you of what your culture is. So it's great to see us as Hawaiian people coming together. You know, it's one big ohana. Everybody's marching for the same cause and protecting our traditions, protecting our rights. i never seen so much Hawaiian flags in this place and to see how much people are um, supporting this cause. So we're all connected and it's good to see us coming together as one. For us to bend the rules of our own culture, it's kind of like sacrilegious. It's kind of going against everything that you learned and were taught. And like I said, this has been going on for 2000 years. You know, I know on Maui, it goes, you know, the burials out there is dated at 850 AD. I think out in Kau is even old, way older, you know, and for, for me to even talk about it or even to show people, it's like I'm exposing my own culture. But I know in some way that we live in, we living now and we have to share this story because it's very important and it's one of the way, one of the ways that we can protect our burials is, is through media and to uh, let people know about it. Um, yeah, it just, it's just really sad what's, what's going on and, and kind of what we got to, it's kind of weird because everybody knows that Hawaiians are here, you know, and there's historical sites everywhere. There's the population before was over a million people, you know what I mean? And, it's a it, it, the state and everybody who moves here makes like it's a shocker that wow there's a there's a grave here or there's a you know what I mean and this is our practice you know when people come here they gotta know that Hawaiians buried because because Hawaii was taken over families had kuleana they had their own lands a lot of their lands got taken away obviously you're gonna have their families burials there. So that's what the whole fight is. When something got taken away from them, from us, even the royal, even on Mauna Kea with burials up there, obviously the kings and queens knew not to build up there, you know, but you're having this thing that wants to go up there and desecrate that. And we're, so it's at a point that, you know, we're trying to fight something that is trying to, um, trying to convince us that our culture should be this way rather than that way. Or maybe, yes, sorry, compromise. You know what I mean? Compromise mm -hmm. in, in doing this. And when we're compromising, we're noticing that we're fighting amongst each other because the compromise is actually not supposed to be there. You know, and a lot of times it comes with money, greed, you know, and, and that's where it's all at, you know. Mm -hmm. And for us as Hawaiians, burials is something not about money. It's a, it's a principal thing. It's something that, it's a personal thing and it's a, it's a cultural thing. You know, it's mm -hmm. not about money. It's not about status of who's protecting what. These are burials that was there before us that we need to protect. And if the families, and the thing is, you know, in the Hawaiian culture, Hawaiians did move burials, but it was the families who did it. So it's not like just like the state department saying, okay, well, you know, the Hawaiians did it before. Let's go dig them and move them. You know, the families were in charge and it was up to them to decide if they wanted to displace them or move them. And then it's on them, you know, mm -hmm. whether it, the, the, their ancestors wanted to be moved or not. That, that, that 
responsibility goes on to them and part of the chance and all that will carry on good or bad for the families. And that was the belief of it. Yeah. So I want to give out information about what people should do if they go into a cave or they go into an area and find suddenly, I mean, what do they look for or what happens to realize, oh my gosh, I'm in somebody's, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think about that. A lot of people say, oh, I got a cave in my backyard in Pune, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing you should do, um, obviously, like if you ever, if you ever go or if you ever discover bones or walk into a cave and you see objects, you're not to go in there and touch anything. Part of, part of the whole, sorry, part of the Hawaiian culture was burials were kapu. That means you don't touch it. It wasn't something that you look at if you weren't given the responsibility to do it. You weren't given the responsibility to move it if it wasn't your kuleana to do it. Um, and you weren't to display it in any kind of way, you know. Um, that was part of the Hawaiian culture. So when you discover something like that, or if you have no clue or knowledge about it, first thing you do is leave, you know. We have agencies out there, even though, like I'm saying, that the government is kind of against what trying to go against our culture, we still, this is the tools that we have right now to enforce that in the best way that we can. And But right now the, the enforcement is really minimal, but it's something that we can do as people who lives here, live here, who want to preserve the culture. You know, um, you're just not going to go there and say, well, there's a burial cave with bones in it. So I'm going to just bulldoze it, cover it up and build my pool over it. Sure. You know, I mean, and who would we go to? I know DLNR is one, yeah. but I'm thinking within the community, within the Hawaiian community. Yeah. Every Hawaiian, in every district, we have elders. And if you don't know, you can just ask. During this journey too, I had to figure out exactly that. I had to actually think about like, who's in charge of is everybody in charge of the burials? Who's in charge of it? Who's responsibility? Who do I go to? But there are key elders that you go to and they'll lead you in the right direction of whether if the family, they'll look, they'll give you a, a family to um, talk to who's probably already enlisted on as a descendant to that area. So you can talk to them. But the first thing is call the police, you know, get the police there to to investigate, to see if it's not a homicide or somebody, you know, and that's the first thing. And the police will then take it to the um, State Historic Preservation Department, and then they'll send out an archaeologist to verify if the bones are old, you know, whatnot. And then um, after that, yeah, it is your responsibility or the um, Historic Preservation will notify the Island Burial Council. But it's up to us, even though you're not, you're, you're Hawaiian or non-Hawaiian, you should approach a burial council and you should let them know that what you discovered and then they already will kind of know the people who talks, to talk to in that area and they can give you more guidance. There's no real pathway of how we're going to preserve each burial, mm-hmm. you know, just like different families. You know, my way of preserving our burial was, you know, I pr- I... I, Tell us the story about what yeah, happened and how yeah. that has unfolded for you, the one, the cave near your family property. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, we discovered a cave um, near our home. And then 
ever since then, you know, our family took on the responsibility, you know, as stewards to protect that burial site. We knew nothing about our Hawaiian culture and all this stuff about protecting it. But when development started in the development boom, you know, in the early 2000s, that's when I knew that, hey, we're hearing booth officers more and things like that. And once they put up a for sale sign, I already knew that, oh, these people are going to try and build or something. And later I had to investigate that. Um, there was a couple different uh, people who attempted to try and buy the property. Um, one of them, she wanted to take care of it. She really didn't purchase it, but she passed away um, after she told us shortly after that. And then the landowner came with a bulldozer and wanted to bulldoze it. I stepped in front of it and told him, no, you cannot do this. It's not the right thing to do. And then um, he said, well, you know, I'm going to give you the opportunity to try and protect it if you... Uh, come up with enough money, which was $50,000 at that time in three months, then I can save the property. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can do it. So I went on YouTube, I raised some money, wasn't enough, but uh, like about three months later, he passed away. So the beneficiaries of the property, they contacted me and they knew what my purpose was, was protecting the burial cave. So they offered it to me for, so like I couldn't resist to just to say, let's call it quits. Let's just protect it. So I decided to do that. Um, and it gave me more time to focus on the film, you know, focus on what I needed to focus on. But um, so every family, everybody's going to do it differently. Um, the main thing is we're all trying to protect it. Um, but with the law system that we have, it makes it very difficult for us to go through that system and try to get some good result from it. And that's what I'm noticing uh, of going to different meetings, seeing families. And you're talking about lineal families. They know who's buried there. That's my grandpa. What, And these people are locking them out of their, their burial sites. And just the emotional, you just see all that at meetings and you just wonder like, what is really going on? So that's what my whole research was about, was to, was to find out like, really, did Hawaiians have laws back then? Did they have written laws? Yes, they did have written laws. Written laws back in Hawaiian days was like if you desecrated a burial with, with the monarchy here, you would spend two years hard labor and then a fine of $1,000, you know, equivalent to today. That's like a million dollars, you know, if you have to reverse it. So it was something that they felt very serious. It was a very serious crime. And they put enough penalties that if you tried to do something like that, you would pay for it, you know. So from death which was unwritten, right, before pre-contact. And then you have uh, contact, which, you know, they loosened it up and said, you know, you can get two years and, you know, a fine. Um, that's stiff penalties. But today, the penalties now in the law system, it just really sucks. <laughs> you, know wow. what I mean? you know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, with the whole historical value and you can see that these these sites are priceless. You cannot glue it back you can't put it back together again once it's gone it's gone forever and that's what that's what i realized and i knew how special it is because i'm like wow this is actually a gift that was given to us that we can protect that wow we get to see this and to take it and it's not a dying thing you know people think oh okay it's a burial site it's a dying just leave it alone yes after my film was done i i i kind of let the cave go, you know, because I, I, I feel like uh, 
that's my purpose is done and it just needs to do its thing you know so um that's my feeling on it and uh but yeah, it, it was a real experience. I mean, I, I mean, I had some ups and downs. And as we know, as filmmaking, it's not cheap. You know, you got to do- you get it funded? I got it funded from um, Pacific Islanders in Communications. Uh, they helped me out. But still with that money compared to the years that I've been putting into it sure. and all that investment, you know, it's a drop in the bucket to what I'm actually trying to- um, the message that I'm trying to get and the, and the things that I learned, you know, and, and for me, I, the thing, the different people that I learned from, I want to make sure that, you know, I show, it's not that they just giving me the interviews. I want to archive it and make sure that it's, a, it's so that people, if they want to learn from it more than the film, it kind of goes into their own segment. Yeah. So awesome. people want to go see your film. Where do they go? Can so, they see it now? Um, they cannot see it now. Right now, it's <laughs> it's at the credit mode. So I'm just getting some releases uh, uh, signed and taken care of, and then it's going to be released. But I'm very, very... Um, uh, it's going to be released within this year, you know? So I'm that's kind of what I'm just keep pushing and pushing. So uh, it's going to... I, I would say it will get done Coming this year. Soon. Next year, January. There you go. It, it'll be there. Perfect. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward and to it. And will it be at yeah. a film festival or you don't know? Um, that's the that's the goal. The goal is to get it on the film festival, but right now we're in trying times, yeah. So it's kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, what do you do like right now? It's like how do you show something when we're here? And and I can, I feel for those big filmmakers and big box offices are like, when do you put it, you know, because you want to show it to the people who's important, you know. You know, you got the world, but there's, for me, when I show my film, it's, it's not necessarily for the world. And I want to make this thing a really big thing. It's actually a cultural thing. You know, it's a, it's a more for, I, I will feel better that I know that all the kupuna and everybody who helped seen it first, that's my gratification out of it, you know, and I completed it, you know, after all these years, I, I didn't let up and I didn't, you know, give up and say, oh, you know, I'm, I didn't complete it. Like, you know, people do that. And I always teach my students, you know, make sure, you know, you finish what you start. You know, you're not going to, mm -hmm. you know, drive the kupunas and tab and tell your whole story. And then you're not going to finish them, you know, because they can actually tell somebody else who wants to listen to that subject and they'll take care of their story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you do that and not do it and they got to repeat themselves, you know, it, they, they lose that that passion about it, right? That love of sharing that story because they already said, well, what does this person never finish, you know? So I, I, that's what I stress is that when you take somebody's story, make sure that you're really going to focus in on them and you're going to take it and you're going to finish it. So obviously that's your passion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my passion and finishing it, you know, any project. Um, I think that, I think that's what the passion is. It, you know, you, I did not know, like many films, and I mentioned this before, it's like many films or documentaries, you have a person running a race and you know at the ending it's going to be, okay, we're going to find out. But this this project that I'm working on, like I didn't know the result, you know? Like, so that's the reason why it just took years and years because I didn't know if I was going to save the cave or not. You know, is, it, is the film going to be a good ending, a bad ending, what? You know, so yeah. it was difficult, yeah. So, All right, so we know, I'm sorry, Bruce, go ahead. 
So from a filmmaker's perspective, mm-hmm. um, or from the filmmaking perspective, what was the, the most uh, difficult hurdle you had to overcome? I think the difficult hurdle that I had to overcome was having confidence in myself of knowing who I am as a Hawaiian. Um, and knowing that when you're speaking, you're speaking with the knowledge that you have, the experience that you have, it's, it's way, and I had to develop that, you know, and, um, and a lot of kupunas, they, they kept me on my toes of making sure that if I'm going to get involved in this thing, that you better know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? And they're not going to let up and they know. And, and if you don't know, you say you don't know. But when you say, you make a like, you know, and you don't know, that's where you're going to get nailed. <laughs> you know, and I got nailed a couple of times, but it's part of the, the, the training. Yeah. The that, growth. Yeah. The yeah. growth of it. So I think that was the hardest thing. It was to learn from uh, getting the trust from our own people, mm-hmm. even, and I'm Hawaiian. I can imagine somebody else who's not Hawaiian trying to get in there. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it, so it's, it's really a hard. really sensitive subject. So yeah. I'm sure that the kupuna um, scrutinized everything that you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and, you know, and it's kind of hard because everybody's going to, you know, no matter what film you do, it's going to be scrutinized, you know, in, in whatever way, good or bad or whatever. But this is my story. And that's kind of what I'm sharing is my story, you know, and as long as I can, I, as long as I stick to that, you know, that's my truth, you know, and, you know, it's my story of what I went through. So I know it as true as anybody, you know. Over yeah. a decade working on one film, and I, I admire that dedication. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, exactly. we're on, I'm on Mick and Bruce nine, mm-hmm. and we're on year two and a half of a documentary that will probably be done hopefully in the next six months, but 10 years, 10 plus years. Well, wow. Mick, Mick knows. I did eight Mick. years on mine. I thought that was a long time. Yeah, no, and Mick does like all the hiking and all the early mornings and, <laughs> and late nights and danger and you know well, that Mick is used to do that not yeah, anymore again. yeah but the passion is yeah, there the passion to, is to there. put yourself in that position and our, of, our hats are off to you for doing this kind of thing because mm-hmm. you know this Thank isn't you. this isn't something that you're obviously doing for money yeah you know yeah. this isn't something mm-hmm. that's gonna win you an oscar mm-hmm. although it might win you an award here or there but um you know this is from the heart mm-hmm. So obviously, the, you know, he's told us himself, this is his passion. Yeah. So I think it's time for the takeaway. What's your takeaway, Tim? Well, I mean, kind of what I was just hitting on, like the dedication, you know, 10 years on one project is <clears throat> phenomenal. And like you were talking about, there's a, a big responsibility of telling people stories. You know, sometimes I work on products and the end product is three minutes long or five minutes long and it's someone's story. And I know how much responsibility mm-hmm. goes into telling that story and relaying that to the public. So to be working on a project for 10 plus years and on such a sensitive topic, as Bruce had mentioned, I mean, I can't imagine the weight that you feel on your shoulders in terms of responsibility, in terms of telling that story properly. So you're all in. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah you know, because, and, and like this, this project is, a, it's, it's not only a project, it's a whole, like, a, uh, burials is just, it's spiritualness, it's all kind of stuff that gets involved in it. So, 
it's like I said, it's very sensitive and um, yeah, it's a, it's a unreal, I, I would recommend it for anybody to go on it because um, you, you discover a lot about yourself, about your family and, um, and it helps you out. It, it, you understand more about yourself. What you got, B? Well, I, you know, I think, um, honestly, for myself, when, when, I, when I heard about what your, your passion was all about, it's like, hmm, is that a great topic for a podcast? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. um, man, yeah. learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, your, um, I like what you said about, you know, the, the, the film, the documentary is, is about your process of learning who you are, learning about your family, your mm-hmm. culture, and, um, you know, that documentary being your truth. I mean, I, I, th- I think um, to have a project like that where, like you mentioned, y- you don't know where the end point is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that crazy right. <laughs> <laughs> to embark on a project like that, right. not knowing how long it's going to take or not knowing what the end point is. Uh, you know, that to me, that that whole definition is um, is like life. In itself, because in in life it's a it's a journey. It's mm-hmm. not attaining a specific goal. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's that process of learning, living, absorbing. You mm-hmm. know, and then and then teaching. I mean, mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. Love it. And I th- I think too, it's it's the ending. It's just like like how you said. Um, we. It's it's a process, and you either can make good of you can make it happen, you can be triumphed, or you can make it go down the drain. And mm-hmm. it just depends how much work you put into it and how much hard work. And I, I, in some weird way, I just knew that the cave was going to be saved. And um, even though the developers going to do, it's just something that's in you, the passion, you know, your love, your your belief. I think is a key. You got to just hang on to that and. Um, and push forward and it, it will come out in the best result, I think. Yeah. Um, my takeaway is, is um, once again, um, Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian beliefs here in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, enriching material to go out to everybody. You know, I really appreciate that here. I'm born and raised in Hawaii, mostly Oahu, but I want to know about those those elements that were here that were established. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate uh, giving that information back to the community. I think that is so important. And so mm-hmm. much of it has come forth with, you know, our fight for Mauna Kea and things like that, that mm-hmm. um, it, it, to be able to do a documentary that many people will see. I mean, it's one thing to put it in a book, mm-hmm. but we're such a visual community. Yeah. But to now see it go out and that people can use it as a resource, I, I think it's invaluable. I really appreciate your time and, yeah. and efforts. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> okay, so my takeaway, mm-hmm. I'm going to riff a little bit on what's been said so far, but um, number one is something that I've always uh, I learned doing the documentaries that I've done is synergism, you know, learning learning what the next step is going to be from the one you're taking now. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with paying attention to what's happening, to what you're doing, and to what 
people are telling you and, and what the universe is telling you with mm -hmm. the information you're getting from, from beyond you. And that's, and the other part is, um, is just that doing something that is beyond you, you know, and uh, do, not doing some, something on a store or a, or a group or a, or a, even a city or a country doing, doing something that is bigger than we are. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what you're doing. You're doing something about culturally and something that's not not well defined, something that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we can all learn about and something that needs to be preserved. You know, something um, that is bad pun, but is dying, you know. Um, and I think that's what what life is all about. It gives us meaning that we're doing something, mm -hmm. something more. So. Anyway, congratulations to you. Yeah, Mahalo. Thank and, you uh, for having me. Fascinating awesome. story. Okay, but we need our fix. Oh, wait. Wait. We can't leave before we have our lava, lava fix. fix. We had a fire hose lava event here at 61G in, what was it, Bruce? 2016? 2017. Yeah. 17, beginning of 17, right? Beginning of 17, And um, yeah. there was actually another fire hose lava, not nearly as big, but there was another one that I shot in the late 80s. I don't remember exactly when it was. I think it was 88, 89, shortly before Kalapana burned up. But um, that, was, that one was, um, in some ways, um, well, it was very similar, but it was just smaller. But it was my, I remember sending it to my dad. My dad shared it with people. And he said so many people that he showed it to couldn't figure out what it was. Mm. You know, because it, it, it really is so different. It, it's, you know, it's not a normal volcanic event. It was, yeah. that stream was going out further. It was maybe three, four feet in diameter. And it was shooting way out into the water, like, like a hose, more like a hose. Yeah. And, um, that, I love that. That was fantastic. That, but that one didn't last very long. It didn't even last long enough for me to go out and, and walk out there and shoot it. It was just from the air that I shot it. But the one in, in the later one, the one in 2017 was amazing. I mean, yeah, that went on for was, what, three months or something? Three months. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Another great lava fix. I love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, lava awesome. fix. Everybody loves that. Hey, thanks for watching. Could you help us out and press the subscribe button right down here and the notification bell please <laughs> it would really help us out get us a little few more followers get us up to a hundred maybe help a hundred <laughs> we yeah. need help help great awesome. can't you. wait to watch the dog yeah. Yeah. me too yeah. I can't wait exactly. either <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah. Yeah. thanks Mahalo for joining yeah. us today yeah. Mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you.